Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, farmers across the prairies are ready for the snow to finally disappear so they can start plant 2023. Three farmers from Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba will talk to me about their seeding preparations and also focus on some of the issues that they are concerned about that's facing the agriculture sector. After the break, Jason Lenz, Jake Legui and Fred Gregg join me on AgriPod. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. So let's uh, start by talking about your farming operation. Jason, let's start with you and tell us uh, what you're up to. We've been talking about uh, you've been busy with calving, so maybe tell us about that as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's definitely uh, right in the middle of calving season here for our farm. Um, Our family farms in West Central Alberta, uh, north of Sylvan Lake. We have, uh, we farm about 2,000 acres of, of uh, Greenland and have a small cow-calf herd and I uh, farm here with my father and an uncle and um, I am third generation on our farm. So uh, great to be with all of you here today. And uh, Jake from Saskatchewan, from the deep south. Yeah, so I farm in the southeast part of Saskatchewan, about an hour southeast of Regina. <clears throat> we farm kind of between Weyburn and Fillmore. So we're a third generation family farm. Uh, we grow a variety of crops over about 15,000 acres and uh, farm with my dad and older sister and a brother-in-law. And then we've got some full-time and seasonal staff as well. Great. And Fred? Yeah, hi. I uh, farm in southwestern Manitoba uh, near a town called Reston. And I farm with uh, a couple of kids and a son-in-law and we've got some dedicated staff too that have been with us for a while. We have a pedigreed seed operation and we run a small cow herd. So, so yeah, it's uh, we're we're just past our the first cycle, so it's starting to slow down a little bit. And and uh, yeah, think things are going great. We're the. It's nice to have a younger generation coming up, and and uh, I hope they push me out very quickly. But I don't think they're gonna. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, spring is here according to the calendar, um, but you wouldn't know it looking out the window here in Malford, Saskatchewan. We have a lot of snow. It was minus 24 this morning, so I'm sure that everybody is already very well planned out for spring seeding, as most farmers are by this time. So maybe we'll start with you, uh, Jake, and tell us about your preparations for seeding and any projections when you might get in the field, or is that still all dependent on the snow? You know, I think it was... uh... Eisenhower that said uh, all plans are useless but planning is essential and we do believe in that I mean we we do spend a lot of time building out plan A through Z on the farm here because we never know how seeding is going to go but it's nice when you hit the field to have a pretty good idea of, of what your game plan is and yeah seeding is going to be a ways away here um, we're still definitely in the dead of winter we have a, a pretty good snowpack i would say a little bit above average and looking at the two-week forecast it doesn't look like we're hitting the field anytime soon so you know typically we would start seeding you know last week of april kind of thing down here this year we're going to be lucky to be better than the first few days of May from the looks of things so far, which is fine. We were that late last year. We've been a lot later than that before, so we're not worried about it. But when when it's time to go, 
it'll be time to go. So we'll need to be ready and uh, we're working hard now to make sure that we will be ready. And Fred, what are your conditions like? Yeah, we're the same, same uh, as Jake. We're actually pretty much uh, straight, straight east. When I drove past his, his farm on the way out to Kimberley a time or two. And yeah, um, normally we would, we would like to be seeding a full week in April would be ideal. Yeah, it it's going to get pushed back a little bit by that, but it won't be be uh, super late, I don't think. And same thing, we had a challenging year last year. More crop was put in in June actually than in in May. Um, yeah, we pretty much have a rotation we stick to, but we can deviate amongst that a little bit. And we're uh, got a couple of new varieties we might try we haven't haven't kind of pulled the trigger on that yet but we've got all our fertilizer in place and we always try to put the equipment away in the shed ready to go in the spring but i think we've got to do a little bit to the air seeder so but yeah it's uh i'm not gonna dig it out so that we can try to speed that up i guess we'll just wait till it gets out of the snow bank before we start there and jason how are things looking for you yeah, well, I think you beat my record this morning. You said minus 24 in Melfort. We were about minus 20 here, so still under the graphs of winter during our nighttime temperatures, but um, very much like Jake said, as far as planning, um, I think we all spend lots of hours in the winter months planning ahead for the upcoming season. Um, Mother Nature is always the one that has the final say for me when we get to be in the field, and um our, our starting dates are usually a little bit later than Fred's and, and Jake's. Our average starting date for seeding is right around May 5th. So we've been spoiled the last couple of years. We've actually got started in the last couple of days of April. But um, this year, I think uh, if, you, if you listen to long-term forecasts, they're talking about a colder spring for us. So we may be at May 5th or maybe May 8th this year, just depending on when things dry up for us. So as far as our rotations, um, you know, we, we're growing uh, malt barley and feed barley, um, canola and, and wheat, and pretty much stick to that rotation. Um, might adjust some acres here and there, but, but um, we're pretty much ready to go other than our seed cleaner is showing up next week. And I think that's kind of the last thing before our wheels can turn. I, I wanted to focus a little bit about what is on your minds. It sounds like you've all got your plans in place. Part of that planning, of course, is uh, seed and crop protection products. Any concerns at all about uh, the availability of products? We've been talking a lot about uh, the situation with a CFIA and Lambda Psi and what's going to be available for a flea beetle or grasshopper control, just to name a couple of them. Any concerns about supply chain issues for you this year? Fred, we'll start with you. Well, yeah, after after the last couple of years, I think we're all a little bit gun shy. I think we've all tried to be a little bit more proactive and have as much inventory on the farm that you know you're going to need. And, uh, yeah, um, on a longer-term concern, it, it is the, the political side of it that we're starting to lose lose some tools in the toolbox on either on some pesticides and, and uh, yeah, greenhouse gas emissions. So, so I think 
being a little longer on the tooth, those are probably bigger concerns for me is that, uh, you know, government policy changing the, the direction we have to go on our farm are a little more concerning. I, I think, uh, yeah, if I would hate to see a tractor engine fail on the first day of seeding because there's just a, I don't know if you can find a four-wheel drive in Western Canada that you could get. So, so yeah, that's a concern. But, yeah, I, I think it's not as bad as it was last year at this time. So, yeah, we're pretty optimistic. I think things will go smoothly. Jason, any concerns for you heading into the spring with things like crop protection products? Well, you brought up the lambda sigh issue, and I think that's a huge concern for all farmers um, because that product, is our best uh, option for controlling flea beetles early on in the season and, and grasshoppers maybe a little bit later on. So um, that's a, as Fred said, that's a big concern to have that tool taken away from us um, as a crop protection product. And, and um, you know, overall, I think um, we're happy to see fertilizer prices coming down here in the last month or so. I know most of us have probably already purchased our fertilizer for for the spring, but um, you know, it's it's a good sign that those prices have came down some. Uh, and, and finally, um, you know, what government policy overall, you know, that's becoming a bigger and bigger concern for all of us. As Fred mentioned, that's um, they they're not basing some of those decisions on sound science and and um, are being very accurate in how they're doing those making those decisions. Yet they're asking us to be as precise and accurate as, you know, basically we are already are when we're using these input products. So that's a big concern for everybody. And uh, Jake, uh, worries for you uh, heading into this season? Yeah, I mean, I'm not very concerned about supply chains at this point. I think, you know, as the other gentlemen have mentioned, that we've kind of gotten used to the uh, supply chain issues the past couple of years. So being a little bit more proactive than we used to be in the past, you know, having things booked, having things here, having things paid for is a good insurance to make sure that we'll have it when we need it. The downside to that is that fertilizer prices, as Jason mentioned, have come down a lot. And of course, we already have most of that already booked, but in the long term, cheaper fertilizer will benefit us for next year. So it's uh, one of those things we have to think a little bit longer term on, I guess. My concerns, you know, like Fred and Jason mentioned already, are mostly around government policy changes, the way that they're viewing agriculture as being something that needs to be more heavily regulated is a huge concern to me because these regulations aren't based on what we know to be the case on the ground. And with farming, you really need a good detailed knowledge of what's going on in the field to be able to make accurate you know, assessments of what is a good product and what isn't from a environmental sustainability side of things. So the laws of Lambda Psi doesn't make a lot of sense from a scientific point of view. It doesn't make a lot of sense from, you know, a risk assessment point of view. And I'm hopeful that that will get changed at some point, but we do know going into the season that we're not going to have it. And that's a concern, you know, for flea beetles, but grasshoppers have been a big issue in this area the past couple of years we've used a lot of insecticides unfortunately we we've, we've needed them 
And, you know, we're kind of being put into a position where we're relying on one or two products to manage that pest. And if we have a big outbreak again, that's pretty concerning. Will there be enough supply of those products without Lambda Psi available? I don't know. We've had conversations with our retailers, but uh, until you get in season and start seeing what goes out the door, you just don't know. So that's a concern for sure. After the break, farmers Jason Lenz, Jake Leguie, and Fred Grigg from Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba will share more about some of their concerns surrounding government policy and how each take care of their physical and mental health and also share their favourite harvest meal in the field. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Speaking of federal government policy, and, uh, you know, I couldn't pass up a panel without talking about environmental issues. Specifically, the federal government's very focused on uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Is this also, you've talked about a couple of other federal uh, government policies, but uh, the fertilizer emission reduction, voluntary, as uh, they have called it, um, is that something that's a concern for you as, uh, as well? So, um, Jason, let's start with you. Yeah, I think you're going to get three answers yes on this one, Alice, for sure. And I think it's really about how we're being measured. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, when we're putting fertilizer in the ground, we're being as accurate and precise as we possibly can with using that technology and our equipment, you you know, basically right down to the pound per acre on all those nutrients. So we feel we're being very precise. We have to be because the fertilizer we use is is, uh, expensive. Um, we, we're using technology. Farmers are very early adopters on any technology that's going to bring return on investment back to their farm. And in many cases, that's uh, providing good environmental protection too. So, um, you know, whether it's the carbon price or this greenhouse gas emissions, I, I don't appreciate being called a polluter. And our governments are basically calling us polluters. And, um, you know, that bothers me because we feel like we're we're the, on the environmental side of, of this equation and, and doing our very best to protect the environment and to grow this health and healthy and safety food, safe food. So um, it's a big concern, these issues, and they don't seem to have a very accurate measure, measurement system or methodologies in how they're measuring against us. Jake, a concern for you as well, um, having those emissions reduced and, and whether or not government is listening to farmers about what they're telling them? Absolutely. It's a huge concern for me. I mean, in agriculture, we are inherently multi-generational businesses. We stand on the shoulders of our grandparents to create a future for our children. So for us to be able to do that, we have built-in incentives to be as the absolute best that we can be when we're applying these inputs to our fields. It's in our best interest to make sure that our soil improves over time and that we leave things better than we found them. Our government isn't noticing that that's the case. They aren't paying attention to the reality that we live with every day, that we need to make things better. So when they're putting through policies on reducing emissions from fertilizer, they aren't noticing what we've already done, the good things that we've already done in some cases decades ago with the switch to no-till 30 years ago in a lot of cases in farms in this area and many others as well so it's it's very frustrating um and you know they they keep telling us it's voluntary they have this goal for 2030 
I'm going to be interested to see what happens when we get to 2030 and uh, whether we've hit this goal or not, of course, is going to depend, as Jason said, on how they measure it. Not on necessarily what the reality on the ground is, because we don't know where we are right now for emissions. We don't know where we were, and we certainly don't know how we're going to get to a 30% emissions reduction. So depending on how they measure it, when we get there and we haven't hit that target, what are they going to do? That's what I'm concerned about. Fred, I, I'm sure you're probably going to agree, but maybe you could talk a little bit more about um, farmers not being recognized for the implementation of practices like zero till. It's almost like we're starting from here, we're going forward, we are not going to step back and look at it. And I, I think a lot of farmers have a problem with that as well. Because that certainly oh, has changed the whole practice of farming. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think uh, just to, to reiterate a little bit is that I think the frustration for 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 Canadian, Western Canadian farmers, especially, is is uh, when you look over the last thirty years, how our soil quality has improved, and we're we're growing more with less energy requirements, and yeah, to to not get any any credit or or, or for that, and I feel like um, you know the government is using. Uh, European standards and trying to implement them here without, uh, as usual, without, uh, you know, it doesn't buy you any votes if it takes you 10 years to implement something. So they're trying to implement something without clearly understanding it and knowing, is there a problem? What is the cause of the problem? And yeah, how is it measured? And and I, I think all farmers are pushing back because it seems like um, it'll never change. It's voluntary now, but that with a stroke of a pen, it will not be voluntary. And all of a sudden we're, we're stuck with these regulations and they always seem to increase in severity instead of lessen. So, so yeah, you know, it's probably one of the biggest risks for the next generation is, getting hamstringed on how you can farm and everything costs you more. Um, and, and you know, we, we compete on a world market. So if the Americans or, or uh, Australians don't have to, you know, jump through the hoops or pay the cost for treating fertilizer, yeah, we're, again, we're at a disadvantage. So, yeah, it's a huge concern. I want to talk about our health. And um, mental health has been getting a lot more attention, rightfully so, uh, in the last few years. So I'm going to start with you, Jake. How do you take care of your physical health and how do you take care of your mental health when the world of farming gets a little too heavy? One thing about the world of farming is it's pretty much as heavy as you allow it to be. Um, There's always more work to do. There's always another job to get done and the list never seems to shorten of the jobs that need to get done so i guess you know for my part i i just kind of have to prioritize looking after myself um taking that time to to do you know a a workout in the morning before going to work at least during the times you were that's manageable i mean during seeding and harvest that's pretty tough but getting enough exercise at those times of the year isn't typically too difficult but 
And, and, you know, just thinking about how to, you know, practice mindfulness and, and how to be grateful for the things that we have, because it can all go away in, in a heartbeat. Um, you know, it, you just have to make a conscious effort to, to think about the good things and uh, remember that the farm is important, but it's not the most important thing. Um, the farm can't exist if the family falls apart around it. So, you know, personally, I have to think about all those things, but then also as a, as a family, we have to talk about what our goals are, where we want to go and, and how important it is that we take our own time for to be with our own families and, and to be together as a group, as a family as well. And we also make sure that everybody, the entire team knows that, you know, our group benefits package covers counseling. If people want to go down that road and there's absolutely nothing wrong and no judgment to any of that. So, and uh, also just making sure that if people need time to, you know, to have some personal days that that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fred, what, how do you look after you? Oh, well, you know, I, I think that's exactly right. It's a balance, uh, and it's hard to remember that sometimes, but uh, it, it occurred to me on the weekend, I had a couple of grandchildren out helping with chores, and I think everybody should approach uh, their work a bit like a two- and a three-year-old, right? If you want to stop and ride around in the calving sled or climb the snow hill as they do them, that, you know what's wrong with that because it, it uh, you feel quite a bit better at the end of the day and yeah we try to uh, with all our group make sure everybody has some time away and I know it's hard to do but sometimes you you, you know you come back fresher and with a renewed vigor and and yeah it is certainly an area in past that uh, producers have been all farmers haven't been great at doing that so so I think it's encouraging that we're all talking and, yeah, reach out to somebody if you think they're having a little trouble. And, and I think that's, that's, that's key moving forward. How about you, Jason? What would you like to share? Yeah, well, I, I think just taking the breaks is, is so important, especially during the busy season, you know, whether it's in the spring or fall. Uh, on our farm, for example, I do primarily most of the, the seeding and running the the seeding tractors so i've got to this point where you know i'll take an extra stop during the day or a couple stops during the day just to get out get a little fresh air walk around the machine and, and stretch the legs out and clear the mind a little bit so there's there's a lot of things we can do to help ourselves and you know it's good to see over the last couple of years organizations like do more ag that are talking to farmers or are available to farmers to talk to if if they need be but um you know, honestly, for myself and our farm, I probably didn't look after myself. I suffered more injuries from being crazy playing sports in our younger days. And now I'm suffering with the sore shoulders and sore knees because of that. But, um, you know, you know, Fred, Fred mentioned grandkids. And, and I've got a pile of grandkids here, too. And they certainly helped me gra- keep me grounded. It's great to have them sitting in the tractor with you uh, during the day in the combine or in, in uh in the tractor in the spring. So um, good to have that family support around you. Um, it's very clear that we could probably chat for two hours, but I'm going to try and start to wind things down a little bit and uh, put a little bit of uh, lightness in our conversation. 
I want to talk to you about harvest. Harvest is an incredibly hectic time. So in 30 seconds or less, can you tell me, first of all, what keeps you going during harvest? And what is your favorite harvest meal? And uh, we'll start with Fred. Oh, well, harvest is my favorite time of the year. Uh, you know, it's just so exciting and so rewarding. And, uh, yeah, it uh, it's like a, a kid in a candy store for me. It just, I can't wait for it to start. And I'm a little bit sorry when it ends, but it's, you know, it's always nice to catch a, a snooze, a sleep in or something. Um, harvest meals partly because we're busy all year long and with our staff we always stop for supper um quite a bit of the time at harvest it is uh brought out with families which is nice and we try to get the whole group together um employees and spouses and and all our families at least once that time and we have a couple of birthdays within the group so it's it's yeah getting to to have a birthday cake out in the field on a beautiful uh, fall or late summer. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't matter what you eat. It just tastes so much better outside and surrounded by uh, friends and family. And, you know, we think of our our staff as family too. So, yeah, we have lots of laughs. And it's, it's worth stopping, I think, everybody's mental health. And as Jason pointed out, I think we're a lot safer because we do that. Yeah. You're a lot fresher jumping back in those combines and and yeah, everybody sure. feels amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Jason, can you tell me your favorite meal? Oh, I get spoiled lots in the fall with uh with meals that come to the fields for sure. Um I guess my favorite one is my wife does a pretty wicked stir fry, whether it's chicken or, or beef included. So that's always a fairly quick and easy one to eat in the combine cabin. The best part is she delivers she delivers it, and I let her drive the combine while while I eat. So um, well, that's, that's some pretty good one on one time there. Good. So, for sure, great. Sorry to cut you off, Jake. Quickly, what's your favorite meal? My wife does most of the cooking for us at harvest time, which is a big job, especially when there's up to ten people. So, my favorite would be lasagna, and uh, that's a good pasta beef meal. I've been talking to Alberta farmer Jason Lenz, Jake Legui, a producer from Saskatchewan, and Fred Gregg from Manitoba about their preparations for the spring and some of the issues on their minds for this coming year. Here are the top agriculture stories for the week of March 27, 2023. For the first time in two decades, Japan reopened its doors to Canadian processed beef. The development also removed the last restrictions on Canadian beef that Japan put in place back in 2003 after the discovery of a case of bovine spongiform encephalopathy in Alberta. Japan is an important market for Canada and the world. In 2022, the Japanese market for Canadian beef and beef products had an estimated value of $518 million. Funding for a foot and mouth disease vaccine bank and an increase to the interest-free limit of loans under the advanced payments program were just two of the highlights of the federal budget. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency will receive $57.5 million over five years to set up the vaccine bank and develop a response plan. Agriculture Canada will get $13 million to implement an increase to the interest-free limit under the advanced payments program, 
from 250000 to 350000 for the 2023 program year. The federal government also promised to make amendments to the Canada Transportation Act for a temporary extension on a pilot basis of the inter-switching limit in the Prairie Provinces. The federal budget also included $333 million over 10 years for the Dairy Innovation and Investment Fund, and there was also a commitment to begin consultations this summer on the issue of right to repair. Statistics Canada data out for a total grain movements out of Western Canada for the first two months of 2023. January numbers show the total for all grains, including wheat and Durham, came in at 5.2 million metric tons as compared to 4.5 million in February. Canola was 1.7 million for January, 1.4 million in February. Overall, producer deliveries out of Western Canada dropped off in February as compared to January. February reports from Staskan show oilseed processors crushed roughly 812,000 tons of canola. Oil production totaled almost 337,000 tons, while canola meal production came in at 482,000 tons. The latest milled wheat and wheat flour report for February shows 250,000 tons of wheat was milled in February. Wheat flour production totaled 191,000 tons. Both railways were getting some praise from the man who monitors green transportation performance on behalf of grain companies and producer organizations. Milt Poirier with QGI Consulting said CNNCP provided good performance during shipping weeks 30, 31 and 32. He said consistency is the key word and both railways have been focusing their recent efforts on the West Coast, but more cars are now moving east to Thunder Bay. The Canadian Cattle Association announced details of its executive selections for the year. Nathan Finney has been re-elected president. He became president last December after the sudden passing of Saskatchewan producer Red Schellenberg. Finney previously served as chair of the New Brunswick Cattle Producers Association. Tyler Fulton of Manitoba is vice president. Saskatchewan Stock Growers President Garner Diabold says Finney has been a strong advocate for cattle producers. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, tell your friends, and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.